This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, welcome to the final video for 2022 on the drive Through Games YouTube channel. Now, as I normally do every year, we are doing my favorite games of the year. This year, it's just kind of a top 10 list. I will have a couple of honorable mentions at the end. I'll mention after the number one. And then one sort of housekeeping uh, issue. Uh, as you can see from the title of the video, we will be giving away uh, my favorite game of the year and the publisher of said game, which you will have to watch till the end of the video to find out, was kind enough to uh, furnish a copy to be uh, given away. Now, if you want to be entered in the giveaway, just put a comment below. Just mention that you want to be entered or you can just leave any kind of comment you want about the video or whatever. That's fine. Uh, this can only go to somebody in the United States or Canada. So if you live outside of the United States or Canada, then I apologize, but you you won't be able to you know get the free copy. But hopefully you stick around <laughs> and watch the video anyway. Um, so please do that. Um, but yeah, so let's just jump right into the list. We'll start at my number ten. My number ten is going to be Star Wars: Clone Wars. Uh, I think maybe some people will be surprised by that. Somebody already gave me a comment in such a way. But Star Wars Clone Wars has really filled a slot for me that I kind of changed things out of uh, every so often. So I used to have, kind of have Forbidden Island in here. I used to have the Horrified board game in this slot. Uh, there's been a couple other games that kind of bounce around that slot. I like a nice little kind of medium to lightweight co-op that takes about an hour or so that I can play easily solo or with family members or with whatever and that it's a really solid game it's very accessible you almost don't have to you know really memorize any rules it's so intuitive that the rules will come back to you after a couple of minutes and Star Wars Clone Wars really kind of fits that slot it's it's very important to me to have a game that kind of fits that slot so it's very easy to kind of just break out and play quickly and it have it be super satisfying super fun and the Clone Wars does really a great job of this, you know, pandemic system uh, that it's kind of carried and morphed and modified in a certain way. It hits a theme that I like. I kind of like this era of Star Wars a little bit. And it's fun. And there's a lot of variability and, and variety with, like, the different villains and stuff that you can go after. There's lots, lots of little, like, kind of side quests or missions that will permeate all of the different kind of main quests that you can go on and it's really just fun and everything's really put together in a great package nice to look at easy to play it's tense it's fun you have some good decisions to make in there uh, so that's my number 10 star wars clone wars it's just really kind of booted everything out of that kind of slot in my collection uh, at this point so we're going to go on to the number nine which is a game called ready set bet from aeg this is a game that kind of came out of nowhere for me. I wasn't really aware of it. It's designed by the same designer as Mystic Veil, Edge of Darkness, and other games like that with the card crafting system. Uh, John D. Clare, this is a totally different type of game. Uh, I did a video review relatively recently about it. 
to me, the great part about this game, and we just played it again the other day, and you've got to have the app with this game. You don't need the app to play the game, but to me, you, you really should have the app because the app will just take care of managing this horse race and just rolling these dice kind of virtually and then putting out the results on the screen and tracking some other information that maybe is a little bit more difficult to track, you know, that you would have to do kind of in an analog sense. But it's a real-time betting game. It's almost like a worker placement game where you're betting, you're putting your bet tokens on different slots and stuff like that and, and, and zeroing out and focusing on that. And, and that's your slot, that's your bet. And you're doing that as the race is evolving so you have this real kind of like strange probability, real-time calculation that's just going on in your head like nonstop to the point of like, you know, complete obtuseness and total guesswork. But you try to put yourself in the in the situation of, I think this is the right bet. I think this is the right bet. Or when's the time to pull that trigger on the bet as the horses are moving across? And then you and all your friends are doing those same calculations. And then soon somebody starts to yell and shout and they start to crack and they go, oh no, I, I put that in the wrong spot, blah, blah, blah. And back and forth. It's just this, elicits this really chaotic, fun atmosphere. And then a lot of times you get to the point where nobody can bet and then everybody sits there and talks smack at the screen um, and, you know, and, and see, see how the, you know, the, the final horse race turns out. It's just really fun. I mean, it's just one of the absolute purest fun games that I've played in a really long time. And there's just a lot of neat little nuance and stuff. You can introduce sort of more more complex betting. You know, if you played a couple of times, if you're playing with like kids, maybe you can just kind of do the straight bet to see who wins places and shows. And you can throw out all the other cards if you really wanted to do that. And you can kind of, you know, sort of introduce people to some of these other concepts as you go along. So it's just really gonna hit a lot of notes. And I really just can't stress enough like how surprised I was by this game, how fun it was, you know, how kind of raucous it was. Just really, really great. So that's Ready, Set, Bet. That's number nine. Uh, let's see, number eight is Messina 1347. This came out earlier in the year. I think it technically came out at the end of 2021 over in Europe. Uh, it got brought over here by Rio Grande Games kind of in the beginning, middle of this year. This is... Um, a Vladimir Succi game, first of all, a great designer. I, I've really enjoyed a lot of games from him, Last Will, Underwater Cities, stuff like that. Um, this is a kind of a neat different game. It has a kind of Vladimir Succi vibe, so if you played some of his games, it's got that sort of tenuous link between abstractness and theme and stuff like that that he likes to kind of play around with. Uh, and it's, it's a real solid kind of, you know, sort of straightforward Euro game, kind of medium, maybe bleeding into heavyweight. The theme of it's really kind of neat in a way where basically it's during a pandemic, which you know I think we can all be at home with in a certain degree uh, over the last couple of years. So it's kind of the the sort of the aftermath or kind of the tail end of the pandemic, or the, in this case it was a plague, where you're going in and you're trying to start to like rebuild a city, rescue uh, different types of citizens and stuff like that, and put them to work and kind of get the economy kind of kickstarted, get the town of Messina rebuilt back up. So the game has this kind of cool arc with it, where a lot of times you're kind of going to like burning out neighborhoods and trying to, you know, just get rid of the plague and then trying to, at the end of the game, kind of revitalize those neighborhoods and revitalize the economy of the game. And you have your own kind of little engine going uh, in your own kind of abstract way to kind of get your own little economic engine kind of going and your little like action efficiency stuff kind of going. It's pretty abstract to be honest, but there's a nice kind of thread and arc and, and stuff like that through the course of the game. 
and it's really solid. There's a lot of like combos and different things like that that Euros tend to have these days that are really fun. And it's just, it's really nice. I just really, the theme is part of what carries it through for me because it's some, there's just some level of it to me that's very cathartic to play through that and sort of put myself in that kind of time period. Cause this is, you know, 1347. So we're talking, you know, almost a thousand years ago, like 900 years ago. And it's like, you think about that and you think about the lifestyles back then and all those kinds of things and how people got through it and they kind of restarted and they kind of, you know, got back to a, a level of normal or new kind of normal back then. And we've been hit with these different periods over the course of human history, at least, if not other histories. And it's kind of a nice thing. And it's a real solid game, very good crunchy mechanics, lots of combos. And so all that kind of really meshes together to make me really have kind of fallen in love with the game. So that's uh, number eight, Messina 1347. Definitely recommend it if you're a Suchi fan or if you're a Euro fan and that kind of stuff. And the theme will probably carry it across the finish line, I think. So number seven is a game come out uh, also earlier in the year, Arc Nova. Uh, this is kind of like terraforming Mars, but it's a zoo. So a lot of people are probably super familiar with this game. I think it's, guys, I know it broke the, did it break the top 10 on Board Game Geek already? So is it going to threaten, you know, Gloomhaven for number one? You know, probably not, but it's like, maybe it's in the top five. I haven't checked actually in a couple of weeks. I just saw, I don't know, it was a few weeks ago, a month ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is in the top 10. I was like, holy cow. Um, it's a really good game. I really like it. I think it's probably my favorite of... Now, a lot of people get kind of antsy about this kind of thing, but it's kind of in the terraforming Mars, underwater cities, you know, that kind of vibe. Now, there's a lot of games in here that aren't... You can't really... I get it. You can't really compare them directly because they're doing different things. But there's a similar kind of vibe with some of these games that we've seen over the last, you know, handful of years, let's say five, six years, where... You've got kind of some card display, card, you know, building stuff, types of stuff, you know, married with like a worker placement thing, like a Dune Imperium or Arnak or, you know, Terraforming Mars. You've got kind of that, you know, the Mars where you're trying to build uh, in Terraform Mars with different tiles and things. And in this, you've got some worker placement on Arc Nova. You've got some of you building your own zoo with the tile placement. And mostly it's kind of all sort of driven around the card tableau, the, the card placement. And this one... It's right up there, I think, with Underwater Cities. I really love Underwater Cities, especially with the expansion. So this is really kind of competing with that for this kind of game. Because I'm, if you watch the channel a lot, you know I love cards and multi-use cards. And that's just kind of an easy sort of in with me. Because I love a hand of cards. I love looking at something looking at something and saying, can I use you for this? Can I use you for that? Can I use you for this? You know, Can I use you to pay for something else? That kind of thing. So that, that just really kind of gets my juices going. And this is one of the kind of like magnum opuses of that kind of style of game. It's big, it's sprawling, uh, there's a ton of just different cards in it. It's I like the theme of it. I like that you're building a zoo. I like that you are also kind of as a zoo involved in some of the research endeavors and things like that. So you're not just like building a zoo for a bunch of people to come and look at animals in cages, which is like not cool. But you also are doing the other good parts of the zoo that kind of support or get supported by, you know, having the tourists come in and doing, you know, helping on a research projects and that kind of stuff. So it kind of marries all that together. And, you know, so I like that. I like that it, it, it took in all of that things of like, Hey, let's introduce, you know, 
kind of average everyday people and families to animals and their situations, and then also use some of that money to support, uh, you know, research and stuff like that and in building kind of a better world for those folks and those animals. <laughs> and, you know, so I like that. And it, this marries it very well together. And again, like Messina, the mechanics are super solid. There's, a, there's just a lot going on and there's a lot of crunchiness. I will say I have seen kind of the, the knock against it. I made this knock against it myself where it can be a little bit luck driven based on the cards that you get. But I think I said this in my review. Even if that's the case, I don't ever have a bad time playing it. If I'm like, you know, because you, you get the points and your points have to cross if you're not familiar with the game. But your points have to like cross each other. And usually when I lose, it's like, you know, I'm down 10, 20 points or so. And if I win, I'm up by about that much. So it's kind of give or take. It's And again, it, the theme carries it over the finish line. So if I'm trying to play it as like some kind of math exercise, forget about it. But it has enough of that quality math mechanical stuff to get me in, keep me excited all the way through the game. And then the theme and all that stuff will just, again, carry it over the finish line for me. All right. So that's uh, number seven, Arc Nova. High recommend. If you have not played this game, you're probably under a rock. If you're watching my channel, you probably know about this game because it's just been covered so many places. So that's number seven. Number six uh, is, a, is a new system, uh, theoretically the start of a new system, uh, and this is a Flashpoint South China Sea. I reviewed this a couple of months ago, I think, and this is a new, uh, theoretically, game system called Flashpoint. And this one's set in the South China Sea. And it's set very much in kind of a modern time with kind of the tension between the United States and China and some of, uh, you know, the countries that actually do op occupy the South China Sea and trying to ally or pit against, uh, you know, each of the two superpowers and kind of control of this kind of economic and, and, uh, and geographic space. Um, to try to you know kind of win the game in that case, and so it's it's kind of a Twilight Struggle light, and we've seen a lot of those games over the years. Usually, they're a little bit lighter than this game. Even like, I'm thinking of like a 13 days or 13 minutes. There's another. There's a couple of them in this, more than just those two. But this is a little bit on the heavier side uh, than those games, and this one has a lot of fine nuance. I kind of lost track of how many times I played it like five or six. But after each play, I was like, oh God, there is some more layers here. Um, now it's not as like broad and deep as Twilight Struggle. It's obviously focused on a, a very narrow sort of time frame, you know, probably within the scope of, we call it maybe 10 years max, let's say. It's, it feels like a 10 year scope. And also a very specific geographic region where Twilight Struggle is like 50 years, you know, the whole earth basically. Um, but it has some cool riffs on kind of the multi-use card thing again and the way that scoring happens in the game and the way that you can kind of tug and pull on certain aspects of these different regions. You can kind of interact with them different ways. It's not just like a straight influence or no influence thing. There's economic and diplomatic influence. There are these, I'm forgetting the name of it, but there's like these sort of naval regions attached to some of the things. It has different words for the U.S. versus China, too, on how those things work. But it's the same region. So there's a lot of stuff kind of going on. But the game is very simple, easy to play. It takes about an hour. So um, I'm curious to see if there will be other games in this series. But if there's not, even, this game itself, I think, is, is definitely worth a look. I would not... I kind of want to stress this a little bit more. I wouldn't just dismiss it as another, you know, Twilight Struggle light. This is kind of stands on its own. It's in the same vein but it does some really smart, subtle things. 
and it's a very, very elegant design. And I think there's a lot kind of going on underneath the covers here in terms of the strategy parts of it that you're not probably going to grasp your first player to. Um, so I highly recommend folks take a look at Flashpoint South China Sea. I think it's a very, very solid game. It's very interesting, you know, sort of uh, timely, you know, in terms of the, the way things in the world are now. Um, so that's an interesting kind of aspect to it as well. And it does, you know, sort of touch on a lot of the cool stuff about that. You know, the geographic side of it versus the, you know, kind of the, this is called the diplomatic or trade relationships and the, you know, the personal kind of relationships as much as countries can have a personal relationship with each other. But there's a, that little kind of dynamic there where you can sort of, each side is sort of, you know, being manipulative in a sense uh, of these kind of smaller island countries in that area. Uh, but it's a, it's a nice dynamic there for, for a game, for sure. So anyway, that's number six, Flashpoint South China Sea. And now we're going to get into, uh, let's see, the number five. So I just want to pause quickly and say that I did struggle a lot actually with the bottom of this list and kind of the order there. And if you've watched the channel long enough, you know the order irritates me to no end. <laughs> but it's just like my brain is like wired to do a top ten sometimes, not all the time, but... So I did juggle the order of those bottom five quite a bit, and I did juggle the order of the top five quite a bit, uh, especially the top three. So we'll get to that in a minute. But I just want to kind of make that statement again, probably for the 10th time <laughs> annually. Uh, but anyway, let's go to number five here. This is uh, Catherine. Uh, this also, I don't think I've been naming all the publishers here, but uh, same publisher as Arc Nova. Um, at least they came over here through Capstone Games, uh, although I think the European publishers are different. But this is another Capstone game on here. Uh, Catherine, I just reviewed very recently, and this is another game. Again, I'm showing you know my heart on my sleeves a little bit here. This is another like crazy kind of multi-use card game game that's very abstract. Uh, you know, it's set during kind of the Tsarina Catherine's uh, reign over Russia, the Russian Empire. You know, previous to the Soviet Union, and uh, but if that's all abstract. That could all just disappear. It just doesn't really matter at all. But the card play is super fun and super dynamic. And it just hits, it feels like kind of an old school kind of Euro game from like 10, 15 years ago, but like a new one that we didn't get to play back then. It's like if somebody dug it up and they say, hey, I found this game from 15 years ago and it does all this neat stuff. And I'm like, this is great because I used to love games just like this where you have sort of a pseudo Euro theme with a very abstract me mechanism applied to it. That was very interesting. And it takes about 45 minutes to an hour, give or take. Definitely with two players, you can do it much quicker than that. And it's fun. And it has some level of interaction, but not a lot. A lot of it is kind of like in your own little space, which is kind of fun sometimes. And I really like this game. There's a lot of tough choices with this game. And it's similar to Flashpoint, which I just talked about, Lots of kind of nuance and elegance that's involved here. After I played it, you know, several more times uh, since kind of initially I played it, I just there's a lot kind of underneath the covers in terms of the timing and some of the different combos and stuff that you can do. And because it's a giant deck of cards, you're kind of always coming at it a little bit differently. Uh, and so I really like it. I think the production and the art quality is nice. Uh, the theme doesn't really do anything positive or negative for me, um, but to me that doesn't matter because it just looks old and, and funky and ancient, and that's fine. It could be set in uh, some other part of the world, and <laughs> it wouldn't matter. Um, 
but as long as it was ancient. If you said it in the future, I probably would check out of it. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just feel like I would. So it's set in kind of an old-timey place that you know it's, it's going to be forgotten one day, and um, it's fun. The mechanics and everything are super fun and solid, and just has a really cool dynamic with all the cards and the interactions and everything. So that's number five, Catherine. And number four is a game from uh, the folks at Prospero Hall, and this is called Rear Window. And this one has really crept up my list, so to speak. The first couple of times I played it, I wasn't real sure about this game. But the more I played it, the more and more interesting this game became. And it's based on one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie, Rear Window. And uh, I really wanted to like this game. <laughs> like, I, I, it's because I love the movie. And I was like, oh, they're making a movie, a game about this movie. I really hope it's good. And then I was really disappointed when I first played it. But after having played it with some different groups and some different types of people, it just, just like climbed up the list. And it's one of those kind of like Mysterium games, but there could be like a traitor element. But, you know, it's got some weird quirks and twists. I will say, I think it's kind of like a... This is weird to say, but it's like a gamer's Mysterium. If you've ever played Mysterium, there's a few other games like that where you try to associate different symbols and things like that. Uh, you know, Digzit's kind of an early riff on all of that. And there's some other ones, you know, there's some weird ones that I've forgotten the names of where you like draw on people's back and stuff. And just, you know, use weird things to kind of, you know, draw relationships. And so with this one, you're as the one player is the director sort of trying to get the players to draw relationships through these different sort of somewhat abstract and somewhat surreal cards, although they're a little bit more grounded in reality, and get them to kind of draw relationships about who lives in which apartment and who may or may not have been a murderer and that kind of thing. Um, there's, again, a lot of layers to this one that just makes it really, really fun. A lot of cool dynamics where it's strange because it really kind of brushes up against this idea of storytelling and how a director or you know whoever might be trying to create a story visually for viewers and so you as the director as that player are trying to get them to draw all the conclusions but they don't know if there's been a murder in this particular movie or whatever that you want to call it that you're presenting and so they never quite trust you to do you know what you should be doing now, it could be that there's no murder, and it's really a co-op, but nobody knows it's a co-op yet until you get to the end, and you're not supposed to obviously give it away as the director. So they don't believe you even when you want them to believe you. But then if there is a murder, you're trying to get them close and get some of the guesses right, like six or seven guesses out of the total of eight, but not all of them because then the last one would be, of course, that there, this person was the murderer. So you have to get them almost to the way there and then kind of yank the rug at the last minute. And it really speaks to like how... Those kind of mystery movies, the really good ones, should behave where the viewer watches and they watches and they think they know what's happening. They think they know who did it. And then at the end, there's a twist and they go, oh, my God. And then they go, oh, of course, it was that. But if you pull that rug too hard, they're going to be like, well, that's a bunch of crap. That was a terrible movie because they just yanked and went on a left turn and it wasn't even believable. Like, I want to I want to get the rug pulled out from underneath me, but I want to believe it. You know, I want to believe that I was tricked and then see the trick and all that stuff. So that whole dynamic and of how difficult it must be to tell that kind of story is actually kind of present in the game. And that to me is like, what? You know, as somebody that just sits here and makes videos on YouTube like a, like a dummy, <laughs> and you see 
when a design does something like that, I'm just like, I want to get up and walk around, you know. Yeah, it just, I'm like, what? <laughs> How did you do that? You know? And it just, I just love it. I love to see that. And this is a game that is one of those things where it's like, I'm trying not to curse because it's on YouTube, but it's like, holy shit. <laughs> they pulled something off that is just friggin' amazing. And um, yeah, I don't know. So rear window, number four. Yeah, you're like, if he talked about number four like that, why isn't it as number one? Well, okay. <laughs> I, th- I told you the order was tough. But right, it's number four, rear window. Um, number three is Dead Reckoning, which I didn't realize I was doing this, but what? when I made the list, I realized it, but this is the second John D. Clare game on the list. Um, I really like Ready, Set, Bet. Dead Reckoning is... Awesome. I think it's got to be, it's my, it has to be my favorite pirate board game that there has ever been. I don't, now I haven't played Merchants and Marauders. Everybody keeps telling me I should play that, but it's out of print, whatever. It's long gone. So, but I played a lot of other pirate games and not really ever liked them too much. Uh, there's one other one, but we're not talking about that now. But this is way better than that game. Uh, this is a really fun, like, just kind of epic feeling pirate game that is like it has so many parts and the sum of its parts add up to more than that but i like all the parts and i like the sum and i love everything about this like just the whole building block from the game bottom all the way up to the top now that this does use the card crafting system uh now i have not played edge of darkness but i played mystic veil around about the time it came out and i didn't really care for it uh, at the time so i was kind of like not that keyed up on it for Dead Reckoning, but it was a pirate game, and a friend of mine actually um, had had a copy before, and I, and I went and played it, and I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, I have, to, I have to find this game and track it down. And thankfully, I was able to track a copy down, and because uh, it's, it's very hard to come by at this point. Um, and I have just really, really enjoyed it. We've played it several times since then, the card crafting is neat because you kind of upgrade your crew through the card crafting. You've got a little pirate ship. You can upgrade all the points of your pirate ship. You can kind of take control of different islands and stuff like that. You have trades. There's like these little story cards that you can get shuffled in. And you can kind of play it as a kind of a loose freeform campaign, which is what we, how we did it. We didn't play like the strict campaign. But like if something happens, if one of us wasn't there and the story card come out and you find like a message in a bottle or something... It gets shuffled in the deck, and then it's like, oh, what happened last time? Well, Billy did this and that, so now we have this thing happening. So it feels like kind of a living, breathing world. The combat's really neat and, and, and like innovative, I think, with the cube dropping thing and how that kind of stuff works. Um, just, just all of the different elements of this just really sum up to this just great kind of pirate experience. Um, and it's it still like maintains that kind of solid Euro stable mechanic feel. But you can get, just go out and do all kinds of fun stuff, you know. You can, like, take over islands and build up the fortifications and focus on your ship and your guns and or focus on more being more of, like, a trader and trading goods and, or you know, working your crew in different ways. And you can get, like, different um, unique uh, kind of asymmetrical powers with some of the little expansion card packs and stuff like that to, to do everything. So it's just this great big experience that is just so, so fun to play. Um, and I, I know they think they did their second Kickstarter uh, recently, so hopefully they, they're going to be coming out again and you can maybe get on the late pledge or something like that. I think this is one of those Kickstarter-only things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, so that makes it rough. I don't know if they'll ever have, like, a retail version of that, but they could do that. 
Uh, so hopefully they do that if you're sort of adverse to Kickstarter or GameFound or something like that. But I really just highly recommend uh, Dead Reckoning. It's just such a fun kind of pure sort of piratey experience, but you can kind of tackle all the different aspects of piracy. You know, you can just do different stuff uh, in the sort of like, you know, for fictional world of, of wherever these islands are that this takes place. Really cool stuff. So that's Dead Reckoning, number three. Now, number two... And again, so just so we're, we're on the same page here, these top three, I was like juggling back and forth all the time. So the number two is Oathsworn. And I just reviewed this probably a couple of months ago. Uh, to me, this is kind of like the... Um, this, this really kills a lot of games for me, I think. So it's, to me, it's kind of like a Gloomhaven killer. It's kind of like a Kingdom Death killer. Um, there's another kind of boss battler game that was sort of like Kingdom Death. This just has rounded out all of the edges of that kind of style of game. Like the story is coherent, it's fun, it's emotional. You know, you, you, you have nice impact with some of the story part. And then you switch to the combat modes and you have these knockdown, drag out fights with the bosses and their minions and all that kind of stuff. And you have these kind of different things you can unlock. And everything really kind of scales up with you. So the actual like kind of leveling up part of it is is not really that sort of intrusive. It just kind of just kind of happens, and you kind of leveled up, and you found items that are thematic to where you're at in the story, and it just does all these different things. Now it's hard to talk about spoiler wise. I did in my review of it, but I did talk about like think two or three like events that happened spoiler wise that I was like, oh man, I have to explain to people exactly you know sort of thematically and narratively what happened to really convey and that's really where this game kind of comes down now i'm not gonna do that in this video so if you want to go watch some of that watch the review but there's just some really amazingly funny and fun and quirky and the right word is like it makes sense in the context of the world things that happen that are just really really cool and the combat and the card play and all that stuff is just really tight and great and everything's really awesome so, and I think it's replayable. Um, now we've not played all the way through the campaign. We're, we're going to do that. We still play it like every, every other week, just about. And, um, I think at the end of it, I don't think I could turn around and replay it, you know, right away when I finish it. But if I pack it away and put things away and it gives you kind of this quick start mode. So some of the story elements that you already know, you can kind of just breeze through those as like sort of a half a page of text to kind of catch you up and maybe modify your characters a little bit. And then you can go into the boss fight. And the boss fights are definitely going to be replayable because there's like 12 characters. And so we've been basically played five, five or six different ones. Uh, I don't want to spoil why that is, but we played five or six different ones so far. And so we could just basically, I think, play all the way through with those. Uh, and then, you know, theoretically play different ones, you know, and so the combat itself is going to be, I would say significantly different because the play styles of all the characters that we've played with, uh, now are definitely different. And some of the story elements actually hinge on the type of character that you have in play at the time. So there's, there's a little bit of variance there. I don't think that's probably significant, but you could just sit down and go back through it and play it and kind of skip to, through the story, do the kind of the breeze through mode and then play the combat. And you've got like, you know, 20 different skirmishes that you could play. Um, and there's also rules. If you just want to play like skirmish six again, one day, you could just do that and you can kind of instantly level up your character to be, you know, right at that point and just play that. If you thought it was a fun kind of boss fight. 
So it's got a lot of cool elements there. So that's number two, Oathsworn. And then number one, of course, this is the game uh, that in partnership with Restoration Games uh, we'll be giving away to one lucky commenter who lives in the United States or Canada. And that's of course, Return to Dark Tower. Um, this one, I had to settle on this one because you know these top three I really juggled because my experience has just been so great with these top three, especially the top five and of course all top ten. But these top three were just so so great. I'm just you know they were just I'm, these are just amazing games that everybody should should get to try and play. And I had to put Dark Tower up there because uh, of some of the things that I've mentioned with some of these other games, but this one even more so is the way that you can scale it up. So if you take if you get your copy of Dark Tower. And you get it and you play that first scenario with the setup with the exact you know monster villain that you should use and some of the suggested things, you're gonna get into it. And if you are somebody that plays a lot of board games, you're probably gonna beat that pr pretty easily. But if you take and play that with some kids or some family or some new gamers and don't alpha game them, or if maybe you aren't even there, Let's say you, you just pick it up as kind of a new family kind of thing. You'll be able to play through it, and I don't know if you'll win or lose, but it'll be a little bit of a challenge there to kind of get what's going on. But then you can start to turn up the dial slowly, 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 and then make it really hard. I don't care who you are. Because there is, I think, I should have counted, but there's like six different villains, main villains, but then there's like different sort of quests you can go on based on kind of the primary ally that you select and all that kind of stuff. So they'll send you on different things. So there's little mis mix matches of uh, setups and environments and different things like that that you can throw at the game that you can slowly crank it up the difficulty with. And then you can add the expansion, <laughs> the first expansion, and you can really crank up the complexity and the difficulty even more so with that. And so the one thing that, and I talked about this with my group that I've played a lot with, we kind of make it akin to, if you have the base game, it's kind of like playing kind of an easier pandemic to start. And then you kind of level it up a little bit and you use some of the harder bosses and you kind of play in full blown pandemic with like an expansion or so of pandemic. So it's, it's in that same kind of realm. Then you throw in the first expansion to the game, the first official Dark Tower expansion. And now you're playing like Spirit Island like that kind of level of stuff going on. And there's even a second expansion um, coming out, uh, which looks really, really cool. Um, they had some beta test stuff for it. Uh, that, that looks really cool, and that's gonna be like a whole other kind of thing there. Um, but this, the thing that I really have liked about that, like this game, is not only, forget all this like difficulty scaling stuff, which is really cool. It's just really neat that they can do that. And they have even like updated the app to like tune it for different player counts, because you've got the app drive and Return to Dark Tower. But the presence of the game and kind of the open-endedness of the game, it strikes this nice balance between kind of free-form adventure, kind of move around, kind of do what you want. You can go visit different towns and different buildings and you fight monsters or go on quests or go to dungeons and do these different things. So it has that kind of free-form sort of vibe of kind of the original Dark Tower or of any kind of adventure game. But then it keeps you on the rails of playing not just like an adventure game, but also just like a co-op, a straight sort of ergonomical, you know, manageable kind of co-op puzzle, right? You have those two kind of sort of themes vying for each other, adventure versus like straight co-op, right? 
straight co-op puzzle is probably a better way to say that. And so this really juggles that in a really great way. And of course you have this giant friggin' tower that's like making noise and lighting up and vomiting skulls all over the board and making you lose, you know, or making you nervous that you're going to lose and all these different things. And then you've got this app off to the side that just manages a lot of stuff so that even though you have this like big table presence of things, there's not a lot of fiddly stuff going on that you would normally have to kind of control with some of these other kind of big epic co-ops and stuff. There's not like a lot of tokens and stuff really um, on the board that you have to juggle or decks of cards you have to upgrade because the AI of the villain changed how the monsters behaved and now they're doing this whole other thing. Like it has this whole other sort of brain there um, that a lot of these app games have, you know, more or less hit or miss the mark. Uh, with how they, in my opinion, should be kind of interacting with the kind of the physical board and stuff. And But this game just hits it right down the middle. And then again, I don't think you can oversell this. You spin that back on the whole difficulty scaling thing, and it's just really, go- really cool. I mean, well, let me just harp on it one more time. We have played this game and cranked the difficulty up so hard, we're like, I don't think we could ever win this scenario. We probably could, but it would be really, really hard. So it's great to be able to do that and see that you could make it really hard or you can you can crank it off and make it kind of easy so if you have kids over because if you're playing this in, in in a dining room or something at your buddy's house let's say it's just a group of four of you and you're playing around it's a bunch of adults and a kid walks into the room and you know you're playing on that super difficult scenario with the the, the difficulty cranked to 10 and the kid wants to sit down and play now, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, oh, well, it's too hard for you. You can't play this game. The kid's going to look at you like, what? Look at that tower. I want to be a part of that. I want to see skulls come out. I want to move my little adventure around. I want to fight some of those trolls. So you know what you can do? You can say, great, we're going to play tomorrow. You reset. You play a simple thing. And the kid's going to learn, or the new gamer, or whoever, is going to learn and be able to play along with you. And they're going to have fun. They're going to be on this adventure land place and be out there roaming around killing monsters and all that stuff so because the game kind of achieves that level of presentation and and inclusion in a way right because it's really going to satisfy a lot of different kinds of kind of kinds of gamers there um it's just really 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 cool achievement and uh yeah we we just love this game it's kind of been like a default hey we want to play i don't know dark tower And it's a world that you can just kind of, again, tune how you want and then jump in and just have fun and then away you go and you don't worry so much about math and things. Like it's still present. You're still trying to calculate right and make good choices, but it does kind of disappear, which is which is perfect. That's what these games should do. Okay, so that's my top 10. Again, number one, Dark Return to Dark Tower. Leave a comment if you're in the U.S. or Canada, then you can be entered to, to win a copy. I did mention that uh, a couple of honorable mentions, which I did want to mention these. Um, one was Blood on the Clock Tower, which I reviewed a while ago. And um, I have given that to, I forget who has a copy of that. Well, let's say Billy. <laughs> Billy has a copy of the game in the group because it is something that we want to play again. And it's really good and it's great. And, but, and I think it's probably worthy of being on a top 10 list somewhere. But it's too much of like a lifestyle game for this kind of game. Uh, I'll probably talk about some more of these, this kind of uh, 
werewolf you know style games and in, in, a, in a podcast probably coming after the first of the year um it's a really like i, I wanted to give it mention because it's really impressive production and everything about it is really really cool but you kind of i feel like you have to have like a 10 or 15 people that you play it a lot so that it's just that's not the situation that I'm in with my group right now to be able to sit down and play this with a dedicated group of people and really explore all the roles and setups and everything and really get into kind of the theme and the story of it. Um, but I wanted to give a mention in this video because I think it's an excellent game. If you've got a group or a larger extended group of gamers around you, um, I, I really can't recommend it enough, honestly. Because it is a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun to play as kind of the the game master as well, and kind of s s kind of poke and prod and set things up and you know, trigger certain situations and stuff like that based on all these crazy rolls and everything. And it makes some some kind of fine tuning adjustments to kind of the, the basic war werewolf formula. Um, but yeah, I just want to give a special mention to Blood and Clock Tower. The other one is a game I have not reviewed. I've played it once. It's called Crescent Moon. I've had it for a long time. Uh, it's been very hard to get a specific group of people together to play this. We played it with five players. Really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not sure how much I, I like it or don't like it. I mean, I know I like it a little, at least. More than a little. But I know I like it. <laughs> um, and it's, a, it's also kind of a really special game because it's kind of in that root sort of idea or the coin system idea with lots of asymmetrical powers and some of our packs premiere and that kind of stuff. And this, it's just going to be a tough one because there's a group of us that want to play it again at least a couple of more times. And it's hard. It's a hard one to talk about. You, like, I don't know. For me, I couldn't talk about it after one play. But we all were kind of like, there's something special about this game, this Crescent Moon game. So I wanted to just kind of make a mention that, you know, it may turn out to be nothing, but I felt like, you know, this game's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. And, you know, we had a hard time getting it to the table. And um, there is something I, th I personally find a little special about things like Root or Pax Premier or the coin games and that kind of thing where you have like these asymmetrical different factions or whatever trying to vie for things. Um, so I would give that one a look. You know, I just want to kind of mention it here. You will see a review of that sometime probably next year because um, I'm excited to try that one again. Um, but again, it's, it's a beast. So anyway... That is the end of the honorable mentions, the end of the top 10 list. I hope everybody enjoyed the video. Um, I don't really have anything else to say. Thank you for this year. Thank you for the game found support earlier in the year. I really appreciate it more than, more than you, I think, you know, uh, the videos have been coming out in 4k. Um, thank you again for the sponsor, uh, game toppers who you see at the beginning of this video and every other video so far, um, going into next year and, uh, really appreciate that support. Um, all across the board and the comments and everything. Uh, we've had some real good discussions uh, this over this last year or so um, with some of the mini vlogs and some of the other videos and stuff that I've put out. And I really appreciate that comments and the good feedback there. Um, that's, you know, 80, 90% of the reason why I do this because um, there's some good discussion and the stuff's interesting most of the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's good. So everybody have a nice holiday season. And I will speak to you uh, in the new year. Okay, thanks.